Well, the CPI numbers for Australia yesterday was a surprise even to NAB, who had been expecting a high number. So does this leave the RBA with no choice but to raise rates one more time at the very least? Markets today are back to worrying about the Middle East. The Bank of Canada stays on hold. But have they totally finished? Maybe not. And the ECB today, will a softer economy mean that they are going to stay where they are? It's Thursday, the 26th of October, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Yeah, so falling bonds and rising yields, that was only short-lived, wasn't it? Back today to rising yields and falling shares, except for some of the companies that have reported earnings in after-hours trade, including Meta. We've got those numbers. We'll come in just a moment. But at close, the Nasdaq is down 2.4%, 1.4% lower for the S&P 500, a five-month low, in fact, for the S&P, a 0.3% fall for the Dow. The Russell 2000 is down 1.7%. Now, after yesterday's earnings, the Microsoft share price is up over 3%. But Alphabet is down more than 9% because of their lower cloud revenues. And it seems most people think that Microsoft is just better at AI. And after the close, we did get those meta results for Q3 revenue. 34.15 34.15 billion versus 33.5 expected. Q4 guidance is between 36.5 and 40. So the top end beats expectations for 38.8 billion in after hours shares. Uh, they traded immediately up about 5%. Uh, pretty volatile as we're recording this though. IBM th- uh, third quarter revenue 14.75 billion earnings. Better than the 14.68 billion expected. Not much though. Better than expected EPS. No change in their full year outlook at either so their immediate reaction was about 4% up in after-hours trade. Uh, Boeing released their earnings before the market opened. Revenue was up a little more than expected, but earnings per share fell further into the red. Their share price down 1.3% today. Uh, Shares up in Europe, though. The Eurostox 50 closed up 0.2%. The FTSE 100 finished up a third of 1% back in the US. More bear steepening. Ten-year treasuries are up 11 basis points today, up to 4.94%. Less than 7 basis points higher for two years, up 16 for 30 years. And 10-year yields are up 10 in Canada, 7 in the UK, 6 in Germany. Aussie 10 years up 3 basis points yesterday to 4.72%, but overnight they pushed 11 basis points higher on futures. Uh, The US dollar is up a little, it's up a quarter percent on the DXY, but a 0.7% fall in the Aussie dollar, down to 63.1 US cents now. The pound is down 0.4%. The euro down 0.2%. The Swiss franc down 0.4% as well. And oil back on the rise. 2.3% added to Brent, back over $90. 1.9% added to WTI. So we are back where we were, really, aren't we? Another day uh, of uh, sentiment being sucked out of the market, it seems. Uh, let's talk about that with Nab's Gavin Friend in London. So are we back to worrying about the, uh, the escalation in the Israel-Gaza conflict? I mean, certainly Israel does now seem intent on the on the ground movement. They've just been delaying it. In fact, the Wall Street Journal is saying this is because the US are rushing in new air defense systems to support their own troops in the region, uh, and they need a bit of time to get them in place. So, I mean, that sounds like Israel will be going in there, and America is planning for an escalation. So on both counts, that is that is not good news, and it sounds like this is going to take place sometime this week. 
Yeah, good morning, Phil. I mean, you, you might be right. Obviously, markets are going to com- uh, continue to play attention to what's going on here. Um, but I think actually on the day, other factors have been driving yields. Yields are going up, of course. And if we are looking at the war, you would think any signs that uh, a ground invasion is coming would actually be a negative for yields. So on the day, um, you talk about yields going up it, across all jurisdictions. It wasn't just the US, obviously, the UK, Germany and those kinds of areas. Um, and I think it, it sort of taking the, the drivers in chronological order, I guess, the uh, we had the the respected German IFO institutions monthly business climate index for October revealed an unexpected but still soft uh, reading for sort of the current conditions and the forward looking expectations measures. The, the professors at the um, IFO Institute uh, report some positive signs coming out of the services sector, especially in areas such as IT. And as we we at Napier have been talking about in tourism, you know, there's money being spent there too. That news kind of flies in the face of the service sector PMI readings that we saw yesterday, you know, for October from from S and P, where um, you know, the, 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 the which 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 disappointed uh, at forty eight, i.e., in, in contraction. To be fair to the PMIs on, on services, you know, that's actually been yo-yoing between 47 and 52. Let's call it 50 over the last four months. And we've argued that the PMIs seem to be understating activity in Europe in the service sector at the moment. Now, you could make the argument that EFO's 9,000-odd company responses, their sample size is very large, ought to provide you know, that survey with more breadth, really, than the the, the PMIs, where the sort of responses are something like 800 across manufacturing and services. But two takeaways, I guess. One is that, you know, things do seem to be stabilising in services, albeit very sort of tentatively. Meanwhile, in manufacturing, which, you know, remains in deep recession, there's no sign yet of improvement, according to to Evo. But when you think about China's tentative stabilisation, the potentially sort of bottoming if global manufacturing, both of these things ought to bode well for Europe, though it's going to be a slow burner. So I think that EFO factor is, is one of the things that was driving yields in Europe, at least early on. Right. But I mean, yields in Europe have not risen anywhere near as much as they have in the United States. So what is driving yields on, on the other side of the Atlantic? Yeah, I mean, so uh, new home sales, I mean, strong. They surged 12.3% uh, to 759,000, suitably above the 680,000 or sort of less than 1% rise that was forecast. I mean, I guess, I guess at first glance, you could argue the lack of supply of existing homes, you know, which is the far bigger part of the housing market pie, if you like. Uh, and because no one wants to junk or trade their sort of one and a half to two and a half percent thirty year loan for rates today, which are what north of eight percent, then that that kind of this this lack of supply, if you like, is is driving some some of those that can afford to or those that have to into the new housing market. And there's also been some big discounts, I think, in uh, some of those, right. some of the, you know, some of the... So would that really drive yields any higher? Well, it, uh, well, it's a strong, you know, it's it's another, what I mean by that is it's another strong US print, you know, that, uh, that plays to, that plays to the grain. But I think, the, you know, the, the, the emphasis of your question is right. We, we've been in this, and you said at the intro, this, you know, bear steepener, um, you know, uh, dynamic for a few weeks now. It is being driven by higher for longer messaging, stronger growth. But then, of course, there are other things. There's a supply issue, a lack of um, sort of marginal buyer term premium. Actually, on the day today, there's, 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 there's speculation in the market of 
there may be some higher issuance coming out of the US uh, next week. So, you know, that's another factor that drives it all plays to that kind of thing. And for all the discussion that we've had earlier this week of about the 5% of the 10 year being, you know, a significant level as it actually is, you know, the vis-a-vis real, uh, real um uh, 10 year yields at two and a half percent now they hit today. Um, you know, once they're above um, trend GDP or projected GDP, you know, you, you are going to get people that would see this as value and, and, you know, buying bonds. But it's timing, isn't it? You know, there's, there's, I think to get a definitive turnaround in yields here, you do need to see signs that uh, the tightening in the US is, 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 is really weighing on the US economy in, in many areas such as the labour market. We just don't have yeah, that. Yeah. All right. And then, which brings us nicely on to what's happening in Australia as well, because it seems we've got a long way to go as well uh, in, in terms of trying to uh, calm inflation. So Aussie CPI yesterday, the quarterly trim CPI came in at 1.2%, which is even higher than NAB was expecting. And NAB was ahead of the consensus and the consensus was ahead of the RBA forecast. So well above where the RBA wants to be. Mm, yeah. I mean, hats off to, to my colleague uh, Taylor. You know, he's a a 1.1% trim mean forecast. And to your point, it came in at 1.2. The, the market was at 1. The RBA at 0.9. So you combine that. You combine yesterday's 1.2 with an upward revision to Q2 to 1% from 0.9. NAB's forecast for Q4, which all together means our end 2023 trim mean forecast um, is 4.4% year on year. It's five tenths above the RBA's 3.9. Yeah, wow. and so that you know implies upward forecasts to for inflation from the RBA. You know, when you take that into account with the RBA, so recent- that makes so that makes it seem like we're going to be very lucky to get away with just one more hike, then, doesn't it? Well, uh, that may, may be the case. You know, in terms of our our house forecast it is any one but clearly the risks the skew is to more and if you look at market pricing market pricing isn't actually still still isn't fully fully discounting a 25 basis point move on the 7th of november of course that's our view it's been our view for some time um but the but markets are pricing about a 30% chance of a second hike at some point in the coming months so to your point you know the market seems to recognize that why the reluctance to fully price one in November, I mean, you know, a number of factors potentially, you know, Michelle Bullock, she, you know, the new RBA governor, she's she's not a known quantity yet. You know, people don't quite know her to the reaction function. Having said that, she she seems to be, you know, speaking the speak, doesn't she? You know, talking about this week that the board won't ho- hesitate to raise the cash rate further if, if there's a material revision to the outlook for inflation and then of course and then, the well, minutes of the uh, we had the minutes of the last RBA meeting that, you know about the sort of low tolerance for the return of inflation to target um so you know all of that seems to be mm. coming together it is curious though isn't it the markets haven't gone further really given what well, you said well it might it might also be you know it might be international factors going on uh, it's not you know that reluctance to price in uh, has been there for some time and so you know when you get this kind of information, yes, the market's moved. I think it will as we get towards that date. I think that gap will get closed in the coming days. Right. Well, uh, Bank of Canada on hold. Uh, and you might have thought that was it for the Bank of Canada. But Governor Macklem uh, said inflation is on a higher path than they expected. 
So uh, he also said now is not the time to discuss an interest rate cut. Well, you'd hope so, wouldn't they? But, I mean, could they be considering another hike? Could it perhaps not be the uh, you know table mountain for the Bank of Canada just yet? So this is the third consecutive uh, pause, um, downgraded growth forecasts amid subdued consumption and obviously higher borrowing costs. So policy is, seems to be working from those points of view. But you're right, they've retained their tightening bias. We shouldn't be surprised. This is the message from all central banks writ large, right? They're, they're all speaking from the, they're all singing from the same hymn book, right? Um, and they're going to continue to do that. Even the, the ECB today then? So, I mean, you mentioned that German IFO number, which, you know, perhaps, you know, stronger than expected. So will they, I, I think the expectation is the ECB will be on hold. But maybe it's the same. It's the same question, you know, on hold now. But that doesn't mean on hold forever. No, it doesn't. Um, but but you know, there's a, there's a the, the battle between the hawks and the doves seems to be being won a little bit by the doves, of course, because the direction of data. But the hawks, you know, are still making their voices uh, known, their concerns known about wage rises. This is a longer term burner for the ECB. The difficult thing that the ECB has got, apart from the growth dynamic and, you know, in countries like Germany where, you know, they're facing sort of a stagnating economy, is we're going to get next week some uh, uh, preliminary inflation numbers for October and base effects are going to knock one and a half percentage points off around maybe one point one to one and a half. So you're going to get a headline rate of 4.3 down to the low threes. Early next year, early next year, you've got more base effects coming through. So this is base effects and it is lower energy costs that are feeding through, which means that from February through March, April, May, June next year, inflation in the Eurozone is going to be somewhere between two and three percent. That's a lot better than it was. Okay. It's within sight. It's within the target is within sight, you know. And so that makes it difficult for them to make that argument that they need to keep uh, you know, keep on with this this tighter policy. They won't they won't want in the in the um meeting today, there's no way they're gonna go there. They don't wanna they don't wanna set hairs running. They almost did that anyway by saying that rates are at a level now where if held there for a you know a sustained period of time, it will help bring inflation down. All of that, there was a that was a heavily caveat added sentence you know lots of things that have to happen forecasts have to bear out all those kinds of things and they don't want to set hairs running in terms of rate cuts but it's going to be very difficult for them as we go through the next few months simply because of the uh, what's going on in the real economy and because of what's happening to inflation um but for the hawks that wage thing that doesn't really resolve itself until that's the that's the problem we, we can get through the base effects we can get through lower energy Obviously, of course, that means that nothing bad happens over this winter. It's 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 further out with the wage bargaining next year, next year, and to, through through the end of twenty twenty four. That's going to be an issue for the Hawks in terms of whether they can keep that argument running. So, if it's been three holds in a row, does this give them the opportunity, even if they're not going to do it straight away, to start talking about the uh, pandemic emergency purchase program? Because, of course, they have been reinvesting. As those bonds mature, mm. could this be the time that they start and, talking and about the line stopping is, those? Yeah, that's right. So the, the 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 kind of two sort of big sort of asset purchase plans, they've obviously been um, doing pushing through QT on one of their plans, but on the pandemic, uh, on the pet plan, to your point, they've been reinvesting and they plan to do that until the end of this, until the end of 2024 at the moment. Lots of speculation about, from the Hawks actually, that they want to start thinking about um, winding down the balance sheet from that point of view. You're going to get um, some discussion 
at the meeting this week on this, but it's far too early in our view for them to have anything conclusive. Mm. The earliest we're going to get that, we may get an announcement in December at the December meeting because that's a, a quarterly meeting that, that they plan to do some reinvestment of that. Um, but that probably won't take effect until 2024. So I think it's a discussion point, but it's not something that we should expect to be policy just yet. And before we go, lots of numbers from the US tonight. Your durable goods orders for September, the advance read that we read on uh, US GDP for Q3, we also the jobless claims, core PC numbers, retail inventories, uh, pending home sales, lots there. The advance GDP, I think, is obviously going to be the one that takes, um, that takes all the focus. You know, <laughs> The forecast is for a, you know, a blowout growth, 4.5%, uh, up from 2.1% in Q2. And remember in that uh, final reading of the Q2, we had some a downward revision to uh, personal consumption to just 0.8% from 1.7% um, with fixed investment and, and um, non-residential fixed investment inventories um, offsetting that. In, in today's numbers, um, the first look for Q3, the risks are the headline is even stronger than the consensus, i.e. something around about 5%, you know, with consumption much stronger too. Um, and then expect the trade number, uh, the trade uh, contribution to growth to be much stronger simply because the trade numbers we've had over the re- few months have been, have been uh, you know, a vast improvement, lower inventories. Of course, that kind of growth that we're going to get um, won't be sustainable. Um, and, uh, you know, the Q4 numbers will be, the expectation is they'll be far more muted, not least because of uh, the student debt repayments, which um, kicked in on October 1. Right. Very good. Uh, that'll do for now. Thanks, Gavin. Cheers, Phil. Well, that's it. That's the morning call for this Thursday morning. Back tomorrow morning, of course, for another one. And the weekend edition tomorrow afternoon as well. A double dose tomorrow. Uh, so I'll catch you for both of those. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you then.